there are four guards down around the cubic case on your left. Don't worry about the guards so much, but the case has to be eliminated. It's attack weapons control unit, and it locks the doors on the facility. You're gonna ice that, and then slide hard right. Watch out for the uh, landing pontoons there, and they've got some vehicle posts in place. Concrete blocks should offer cover. Once you're in position, give me the beacon, and I'll crack the door. <laughs> what do you mean, don't worry about the guards? They've all got Mac-12s. Yeah, they do. But I've hacked the reflex unit and all of their weapons. They'll be at least four milliseconds behind you in reflex time, and they'll have more lag on reload. So, if you can get past those first few shots without being Swiss cheese, everything should go fine. Everything should go fine. And, uh, did you get the probability on this, uh particular operation. You always seem to enjoy telling me that right before I jump off of something. Yeah, the calculations aren't too good. Looks like about a 23%, but you know, I'm not really using my best gear right now. I'm just using something I loaned from somebody. Loaned? What are you talking about? Ah, uh, weird little subcomp. Thing is only about the size of a Rubik's Cube, but uh, it's kind of odd. Really heavy. Gold etching. Black outer. Uh, some guy called it an arch Archie... RGP uh, mainframe? RGP? Or was it uh, RPG mainframe? Yeah, that's that's where we're getting all our numbers tonight. Welcome to the RGP mainframe. <laughs> I'm RGP, your host here on Runehammer, the podcast that is made to last up in this biz. Hey, everybody, and uh, patrons, hello. Thank you for your ongoing support. And brand new patrons, welcome. This is the first of four podcasts that are going to be out this month in my favorite month, October. And this one has been in the cooker for a long time. I, I keep sort of working on it and then going, I don't know. I don't know. And then I'll work on it, put it away. But, you know, every once in a while, this is what's so great about working in a journal is that paging through it can really bring you back to some of your thinking. And I, I don't think digital files really have that same sort of feel of like paging back to look at what you were thinking. There's just so many files on your computer. You don't really do that. But this particular podcast, I have a couple of pages um, from it looks like about three weeks ago is really when I started working on it. So just, just to give you a sense of how long I cook these stinking podcasts sometimes. So I'm looking back and I find these couple of pages and they are titled The DM Push and Pull. So everything in the RPG mainframe is all about playing better, being better game masters, right? And just getting more out of each moment that you're at the table because you don't get to be at the table probably as much as you want to you're anything like me, but also not all games are created equal. Now, I know that everybody has their own style and everyone's on a different point in the path of being masterful with things. And so we don't want to be too evaluative or critical of each other as far as the art of dungeon mastering goes. But I want to get it out in the open that not every session you play is created equal. There, there are some that are better than others. And striving to be as good as you can be and as tight and fun and mechanically accurate as you can be does not mean that sessions where you weren't your best are somehow worth a flogging. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It's okay to not always be at your best. It's okay to have plenty of room for improvement. Everyone has something left to learn in life, no matter where they are on the path. But I do think it's important to see that there's a reason to take this journey. There's a reason to think deeply and critically about the art form of being a dungeon master. Especially in the modern era, RPGs are getting more and more popular all the time. And we're getting some of the, uh, I guess you could call it cruft or chaff, that comes with an increase in popularity in any special interest or hobby, which is you get some some lighter material. And a lot of times lighter material isn't going to help you push yourself as a dungeon master and push your skills. It's a little more sometimes about gags or silliness and, and so on and so forth. But we are Rune Hammerians. We are part of the shield wall. And we are always striving to be just a little bit more better than we were the week before and blow our friends' minds with our storytelling, our voices, our imagination, our mechanical accuracy, our long memories, and most of all, our humanity as Dungeon Masters. And so we come to today's topic for the podcast that's made to last, and that is what I've been calling push and pull. Now, push and pull is a very big topic that for me did not begin with Dungeon Mastering. It actually started in just a, oh, and this may sound shocking, a normal social interaction. <laughs> so a friend of a friend learned that I was, you know, a bit of an aficionado when it comes to dungeon mastering. Basically that I put a lot of time and thought into it. I'm not sure how much better I'm getting at it, but I definitely think about it a lot. So this, you know, sort of information got around and uh, this friend of a friend asked if they could sort of sit down and we could talk about the RPG that's being worked on. And I could give my thoughts, right? And I said, oh man, I love doing that. I love thinking about game design. And I love thinking about narrative design and storytelling and all this great stuff. So let's go have a beer. So we went and we sat and what sort of occurred was, I think just because of sheer enthusiasm, I was just sort of pelted with fact after fact after fact and idea and detail and idea and detail and really almost didn't get any words in edgewise. And so that's no big deal. That happens when people are excited about their ideas, right? But later that night, I was thinking to myself about what had happened. And in my mind, it formed this idea that I was sort of being pushed and pushed and pushed and I was never being pulled. And to me, being pushed doesn't feel that good right? But being pulled feels nice. It's like being pulled is being welcomed or being invited or being, you know, um, treated or included. Whereas being pushed is, to me, starts to feel like being shoved, right? And I'm, I'm being pushed. And so I started developing this idea of conversational push and pull. And now before I get too much into the detail of thinking through why this is useful for us as dungeon masters, I just want to hit you with my thesis, my thesis may be self-evident, but I need to say it, right? This is key to clear thinking, especially when you're talking about the podcast, right? My thesis is that a balance of pushing and pulling elements in a conversation makes for the best possible RPG experience. So your game is going to be the most fun if there's a balance of push and pull. So it isn't that one is good and the other is bad. It's the balance. And as we go through this discussion, I always want you to return to that core of thinking. It's not that one is good and the other is bad. It's that 
together they work. It's a balance of both. And balance in this case does not mean that they're equal. It's just that there's a rhythm. There's an interchange. You don't get too much into pushing or too much into pulling. There's an interchange and a literal sense of balance, not a game design sense. As conversations, storytelling, and most importantly, interactive tabletop gaming are unfolding. Okay? So that's my thesis, that we want to find this balance. Okay, but now I want to look at what the elements really are. And I've got a bit of a Venn diagram here. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually make this Venn diagram the art for the post when I put it up on Patreon. So you might be looking at this Venn diagram, <clears throat> excuse me, as we speak. So we've got two sides here. We've got pushing and we've got pulling. And I'm just going to like throw down a little bit of a list on each side so you can start to see what I'm thinking and like why this is useful because it's an analytical tool you can use for yourself to improve. So pushing to me is the mode of being in a sort of almost dogmatic or lecture-like state. You are pushing information at your audience or in this case players. Pushing includes things like presenting facts and lore, presenting answers to questions, presenting new game systems, introducing threats to the game, or announcing gods or the will or statements of the gods, which goes right hand in hand with lore. Another way of pushing when you're the dungeon master is offering your rulings on rules, questions, or discussions. And another way of pushing is being dramatic or actually being intense is a form of pushing, being assertive or aggressive. And you're probably noticing a sort of yin and yang type thinking style here. And that, that works. That is going to work. But I find the words push and pull to be more informative. So that's where you're pushing. Those, those are just some examples. Now, pulling to me isn't, isn't dogmatic or lecture-like. It's much more formless. It's much more improvised. And it's much more passive or receiving rather than being aggressive. Forms of pulling involving asking questions to players. This is probably the biggest one. Another one is offering up loot. Giving loot to players is a form of pull. You're pulling them into the game by leaning back in the DM's chair. You also have freedom for players. True freedom and agency is a huge form of pull to pull players into the game. Rule bending. Now, the push form is offering rulings on questions, but the pull form is letting rules be bent by players. But you're the DM. You don't really get to bend rules in this same way because it can feel a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. I thought you were offering rulings. What if you bend your own rules and rule them to be okay? <laughs> and the final form of pull is humor. Even in the most serious game, if the dungeon master shows a little bit of lightheartedness and a little bit of humor, it's a form of pull. You're pulling the player into the game. You're giving them space to enter rather than entering their space. So now, right away, you can look at your own DM behaviors and take a look at the proportions in which you do these activities. A perfect one to ask yourself is... How much time do I spend pushing on my players by offering lore, giving them the answers to things, throwing threats on the boards, or announcing facts versus time that I'm pulling them into the game, which is mainly asking them questions, letting them bend the game, giving them humorous relief or even loot? 
in what proportion am I pushing them and in what proportion am I pulling? And if you feel like those things happen in relatively even proportion, then you're probably already in the sweet spot. But in this conversation, in my story, in the bar, I found it, I found myself being pushed again and again and again. So it's like, here's a fact. Here's a fact. Oh, and there's also this. Oh, and the gods, they do this. And there's a spell that's like this. And I find myself just being sort of pushed and pushed and pushed to where I don't feel I'm welcome or useful to the conversation. And that's why the, the word pull makes so much sense to me. Whenever you're in a conversation with someone and you honestly ask them a question and you actually want to hear the answer and you're not just waiting to talk again, you're pulling them into the conversation. If all you do is announce what you think over and over and over, it's almost like slowly pushing a chess piece off the table. And when that piece falls off the table, that's when the other person is kind of like, I'm not sure I want to be in this conversation. And dungeon mastering works the same way. If you are always offering to players, always telling players, they begin to feel like, well, this is all amazing. The storytelling here is fantastic, but I want to be pulled. And then pulling is what's going to balance it out. But if all you're doing is pushing them, I think you'll find that you get disengagement and you can even get frustration. Now you got to watch out because it can be tempting to get very pull oriented. Like, oh, well, I really want to pull my players. I'm going to really let them improvise and bend the narrative. I'm going to offer them lots of loot and humor. And it's just, it's going to be just a, a shopping spree. It's going to be so fun. But what can happen if you pull players too much is they can start to feel vampired. They can start to feel that too much of the burden of telling the story is upon them. And you're getting into this improvisational quagmire. And that's why balance is so important. You do need to lay down the law of what the lore is in your world every once in a while. Hell yeah. Or maybe you want to bypass a travel scene and you're just making a call. We are now over here. That travel was not interesting. Play continues. That's a push. That's just you being assertive about being the DM. But if you do that all the time, oh man, it's going to be rugged. So then you say, okay, well, we skipped that little travel section, but how are we going to get into this new section? Any ideas at the table? That's a pull. I've leaned back. And really, your body posture can even tell a lot about whether you're pushing and pulling. When you're leaning forward, you tend to be pushing. When you lean back, you tend to be allowing or letting or pulling. Okay, so now let's take a look at some more giving and receiving type behaviors. This is sort of my second section. I'm calling it check your neck. The first one was what are the elements? And this is you got to check your neck. And this is really where I want to compare the yang and yin elements of pushing and pulling. And I've got four examples on each side. And I just want to just bust these out because I just want you guys to join me in this thinking. So yang or assertive or pushing behaviors for a DM include assigning a side quest. You got to go do this. Popping an ambush. These guys jump out. Imposing the will of the gods. The gods say this. Or bringing down mighty forces like weather or bosses or unforeseen calamities. Now, pulling. Remember, these are not things that players are doing. These are things that you are doing, the dungeon master, to lure them into agency and control and feel, feeling welcome in the game. And the four that I have down here are like backstory retconning. <laughs> you are retconning the backstory either of your world or of theirs to fit what is happening and what they're looking for. 
you are giving them agency in the world building after the fact. Heirloom loot is my second one. Giving a character heirloom loot, high-grade, lasting loot, is a way to invite them to keep and guard and steward that loot. So if you just have a plus one sword, that doesn't quite feel like an heirloom. But if you have a plus three Vorpal sword of flame tongue, you know, whatever, and this thing has also been handed down in your family, and now you are the recipient, the guardian of this ancient magical sword, this is a way of pulling the player in. They will enjoy two or five sessions of being the steward of this magical sword. It has a feeling of, of inviting you in. And then finally, uh, oh wait, I have two more. There's the wanted board. <laughs> Putting a wanted board in your world is a great pull. And everybody knows what a wanted board is. You know, it's like uh, there's a little bulletin board in your RPG town. <laughs> and it has like maybe five possible threads of adventure activity. And you have absolutely no preconception of what the players are going to choose. You're honestly asking them for a choice and offering them true freedom of choice. This is a way of pulling them into the game. If they choose it, then as things begin to unfold, it's it's their agency that gave rise to this element of the story. It's, it's beautiful. That's a form of pulling. And then finally, player descriptions. This is not necessarily like I'm an elf with weird hair. This is offering players the chance to describe things in the world. This is a way to, again, pull them into the world building itself. And so you're leaning back because normally dungeon masters describe the world, right? But in this case, you're just, for whatever crazy reason, you're letting a player just decide what this thing looks like or is or came from. And you're going to retcon or adjust your storytelling to fit what they said. And when they realize that's what happened, they feel this sensation of involvement and they've been pulled. This is a conversational skill, pushing and pulling, but even more so, it's a dungeon master skill. And I, I don't know about you guys, but to me, this is like a really informative way of thinking because sometimes I do find myself pushing too much. I am imposing dangers at every turn. I'm throwing timers out. There's never a moment to breathe. It's exciting. It's it's a rush. There's all these crazy revelations about the world. And then I, find, I, I say, oops, I just hit him with a bunch of crazy stuff. I... I really didn't invite them to do as much creating as I was doing. I was kind of shoving them this whole time. And so for me, like this has been really informative to think this way. So now I have the third part here, which is the sort of outcome of part two, which is checking your neck. In the third part, what do you do to balance yourself out? So if I'm pushing too much, if I'm experiencing too much push, right, then how do I adjust? If I find myself doing too many ambushes and imposing too much will of the gods and like telling them lore facts too often, how do I adjust? And I have three answers. The first one is new abilities. Offering players new abilities, usually in the forms of things like feats or socketable gems, is a way of saying you are just as complex and interesting and evolving and as unfolding as all this other stuff I'm presenting. <laughs> so the easiest form to grant new abilities, of course, in the index card RPG mindset, is with loot. And again, it's a way of saying you have a somewhat new complex micro puzzle to solve 
during the next set of challenges. It's this ability. It's a way to ease off being too pushy and too aggressive as a dungeon master is to bring the focus back to the player build, which a lot of times kind of mainly lives at the beginning of the game and then only happens in tiny increments throughout, even when leveling up. And so doing this, I think, invites the player to see the joy and complexity in their character, not just all the cool stuff you are presenting. The next one is something that I sort of mentioned before, but I think it's worth uh, a bit of reiteration. So if you find yourself pushing too hard, another balancing technique you can employ is to employ narrative bending. Narrative bending is happily letting players bend what to you as the dungeon master may have seemed like axiomatic fact. <laughs> this means loosening up with exactly how precise your command of the facts of this world are as the dungeon master. Players can bend the details. And you can actually even invite them to do so. You can, you, you can invite them to describe or change details that just maybe aren't feeling right to them, or they just want to say, you know, hey, can I add, can there just be a little, you know, a little rope dangling over there maybe that I didn't notice before? And Letting them do that, of course, has a limit. But if you remember, this little set of ideas is to adjust for being too pushy. So you realize, oh man, that last encounter, I was being really quite assertive. So in the subsequent encounter, you offer up some narrative bending, and it brings the players back into the creative fold. Now, what if you have the slightly more rare problem, which is that you're pulling too much? You're too player focused. You're, you're a bit of a pushover. You're letting them call too many shots and there's no verisimilitude in your world, no sense of touchable reality. It all feels like an improv quagmire that players are just running amok upon. Murder ho hoboism can often have this feel, is that the DM isn't being pushy enough and so in that case, what do you offer to re regain your assertiveness and your power and your dominance as the dungeon master? How do, you, how do you get it back? And I've got three ideas here. And they're the three things probably that I do the most in my game. <laughs> probably a little too much. The first one is throw in a truly aggressive enemy. And this doesn't mean a monster that jumps out and wants to, you know, bite at their hit points. This means someone or something with a vendetta against them. Someone that has been wronged by them that maybe they weren't even aware of, or a force that is a form of reckoning for all their deeds. And you're going to remind them, I can create some terrible enemies, not just because they're mechanically scary, because they're personal. They are here for you. And they're not going to fight to the death because they want to, you know, abscond and recover and fight again like you have a lasting vendetta foe now that's a way to regain your footing as the dungeon master next one is imposing or creating a new house rule a house rule is a nice simple and friendly way to remind the players that you are the captain of the game design of this game so if you find yourself in a situation which is all too common, really, where players are starting to know the rules and the mechanics of monsters and other elements of your game. And once they know them quite well, it can be hard for you as the dungeon master to bend them in a believable way. And so what you can do is designate some of these bendings that you're doing as house rules. 
This lets the players know, like, I'm still kind of the game design core here, but this isn't an accident that I am running this particular thing this way. I'm doing it because this is how this thing's going to be. I'm going to experiment with this house rule for a while. And this takes it out of the sort of rules lawyer argument and just places it into the ballywick of the dungeon master. Says, hey, this is what I'm doing. I hope it works out. <laughs> and in the next few sessions, maybe you can talk about, hey, did that house rule work out? That would be a form of pulling. You see, now you've become passive. You're pulling the players into the rules discussion rather than having them jump into the rules discussion, which, ooh, can be scary. And finally, probably the thing that I would like to think I do the most in my games, a way to regain the dungeon master's chair or your assertiveness, your pushing power, if you're pulling your players too much or if they're pushing too much, is to offer an amazing reveal in your world, an amazing twist of facts, an unexpected truth, or a complete reversal of truth, or a shocking vista of scale or even scale back or forward in time. Some kind of revelation that gives sudden and new crazy context to what's been happening. And one of the classic moments of doing this is in the movie Logan's Run, where they are struggling in this science fiction society and wandering through a, a wilderness in their uh, uh, hope to escape. And they come around a bend and they look up and it's the uh, Capitol in Washington. It's the White House overgrown with all these vines. And I know that that's a very old movie from the 70s, but when that came out, that was a shocking moment. It was like, oh my gosh, they're on Earth, just like the Statue of Liberty and Planet of the Apes, right? It's just this, whoa, okay, wow, wow. And what this does is say, I'm the dungeon master here. I still have this bigger vision. But remember, you're only adding this in because you realize maybe you're letting them run rampant on your world a little bit. So sort of to summarize, you pull characters by letting them sort of sandbox your world, even sandbox themselves, even sandbox the rules. The directions become very vague. They're allowed to make true decisions and pursue them of their own volition. You're, you're pulling them in. You're asking them questions. And when you're pushing, you are presenting the unshakable parts of the world. You are ruling. You are making judgments. You are introducing the doom that will crush them. You are asserting yourself upon them. And neither of these behaviors is the answer. It is an always changing and evolving mixture of these two things, of pushing and pulling. And then I think what gets even more interesting is thinking of this not just in terms of dungeon mastering, but in terms of conversation. And honestly, a lot of times I see people do a better job at being dungeon masters than they do at doing conversation. To exercise pulling in a conversation is the number one way to make someone else feel good about themselves, to honestly ask questions in hopes of hearing the answer. Now, I know that, well, isn't that all conversation? But you guys know if you, if you think critically for a moment, so many times the questions asked in a conversation are really just kind of um, pleasantries. They aren't necessarily plumbing your thoughts. <laughs> but you're not like that. You're a critical thinker and you're a lover of people. And so when you're in a conversation with a random person at the, at the pub next to you, bellied up to the bar and having a beer, when you ask them a question, you really do want to hear the answer. You're curious where they're at. 
And the feeling of someone else being honestly interested in you is fantastic. And it's really inviting to join into a conversation. But remember, we got to get back to balance. If all someone does is ask you questions, they start to feel like a stalker or a vampire, <laughs> right? But if all someone does is tell you about themselves, oh, you just, oh my gosh, please shut up. I think that these instincts, these mores that we have about conversation offer tons of insight about skillful dungeon mastering and nuanced dungeon mastering. Now, everything that I've said here is way too folded up and, and spaghetti-like to just apply. You know, some of my podcasts are just mechanics or ideas that you could just apply, like tomorrow night in your next game, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> but this one is far more nuanced and, and I think detailed if you think about it. And I think it deserves a page in your journal to ask yourself what your pushing or assertive behaviors are and what your pulling or passive behaviors are when you're dungeon mastering. Take a look at yourself and, and, and ask, you know, where am I at? Now, because of the theme here in October, all of this somehow has to come back to being relevant to Retune, the cyberpunk Runehammer project, right? And the relevance here of the push-pull balance is that I'm staring down doing some cyberpunk game mastering, both this fall and at the beginning of next year, and hopefully well beyond that. The more that I've looked at it, the more that I've been looking back at my previous game mastering forays or stints, and realizing that I have been leaning far too heavily on a sort of an assertive style. And also, I've been leaning on a very tactical and very foot-by-foot -foot style. And I don't think it's going to work that well in Cyberpunk. And that realization isn't negative. It's just me saying, whoa, I need to up my game a little bit. I need to embrace a little more theater of the mind. I need to not worry about, you know, how fast this motorcycle is versus that motorcycle. I'm going to need some nice tools to build some narratives out that my board or my grid is probably not going to tell us. And I need to up my game as a dungeon master to tell the kinds of stories I want to tell. More importantly, is my patience with nuanced role-playing has to improve. Patience is a passive behavior. And so for me, it's a little bit counterintuitive to be patient. It's much more natural for me to want to push the action and push the intensity and blow people's minds, wah, right? But patience is letting players settle into themselves and into deeper conversations especially if we're going to be confronting existential issues like those that are at the center of the cyberpunk genre. So this whole push-pull conversation for me began because I'm looking at my own DM skill set and saying, I need to think critically and I need to level up. And this was one of my first attempts at a construct of thinking that would at least get me started writing bullets about my own style and get me started in thinking. It's definitely not the route to the answers, but it can get you going and start that skeleton of critical thinking that can lead you to the wonderful heights <laughs> of better dungeon mastering in your near future. That's about it, you guys, for DM push and pull. I hope that this almost mantra-like discussion 
of aggressive and passive conversational behavior has been as informative to you as it was to me. I hope you enjoy this episode of RPG Mainframe. I do believe this was episode 51, so that's pretty crazy. It's great to have you guys here. Please keep an eye out for all the different announcements and materials that are going to be coming this month and beyond. And uh, most of all, thank you guys for your support and welcome new patrons. Um, I've been looking uh, into getting some physical rewards out to some of the the very high value patrons. And in so doing, I was kind of evaluating sort of the some of the lifetime support. And I, I really cannot thank you guys enough for the financial support for me to put so much focus and time into what I do. Um, especially sort of daring myself into a new genre is proving to be quite time consuming and I really could not dedicate so much thinking to it without all the generous monthly support of my invincible, implacable, unshakable, bone-crushing, shield-banging, sword-swinging shield wall. So thank you guys. I'll see you out on the internet. This is old Ingrid Bernal, decking the web up here in Mega City One. I'll see you on the internet.